Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for the Merchant Sales Podcast. Uh, Patty, I think we had a good episode today with a topic we've never talked about before. Uh, you know, I think our entire episode was very educational this this week. Um, I, I agree. So tell us how I, we started out. Yeah, yeah, great way. And I think that Greg, what Greg has is something I've always thought about in the back of my mind, but never quite, you know, understood how it could be done. And I think he he provides a, a really good uh, case for for taking the relationship to that next level. Yeah, and then uh, in the questions from the field, I share some really practical kind of sales presentation tips about dual pricing, specifically uh, cash mm-hmm. discounting and all that, but um, kind of moving away from the the uh, presentation of we're passing the cost of processing onto the customer, which has a bit of a negative connotation um, and bring a different approach to the way you're communicating that. So definitely check that out. And I thought the uh, insider's report was very insightful. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Patty. some really, you know, some really interesting um, investments and developments in terms of new technologies to facilitate payments. Um, I think you're going to find it really interesting. It's not necessarily in the SMB market, but, you know, as Greg pointed out in, in our interview with him, things are, are you know, are flowing down from the um, from the big guys to the smaller guys at a much more rapid clip. So it's cool to keep abreast of these things. And our episode today is brought to you by ISOAMP. Um, you can find out more at getisoamp.com. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Greg Amuth, who is the CEO at PopCodes. How are you doing today, Greg? I'm great, James. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, great name for a company, Greg. Yeah, well, PopCodes. Thank you very much, Patty. Very cool. Um, so, so this is going to be a very interesting conversation. We definitely never talked about this on our podcast before. We're going to talk about the ISOs and agents getting that direct communication to their merchants through the point of sale device, the the terminal specifically in this case, um, and kind of what you do along those lines. A very unique concept. Um, before we dive into that though, Greg, I always like to hear the story of our kind of interviewee. Like how did you get into this business and what led you to PopCodes? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks, James. Again, appreciate the time. Um, yeah, I've been in retail and financial services uh, and, and more, more so specifically payments really all my career. Last uh, almost 30 years, it's hard to believe. Um, mostly with... Uh, you know, big tier one retailers, uh, you know, started my first corporate job with Domino's Pizza at their headquarters when they grew from 300 locations to 3,000. Um, I helped uh, start Borders Books and Music um, even before they were were Borders, um, spent a, several years there. Um, but prior to starting Popco's, I was with Macy's and I was responsible for building the, the 360 degree view of the customer across both the credit um, and two retail brands, Macy's and, and Bloomingdale's and enabling that for omni-channel marketing. Um, as I was getting ready to, to leave Macy's, I actually met my now wife. She lives in Canada, and I started to experience that um, customer-facing uh, checkout experience um, that uh, you know, Canada and, and Europe has been doing for a while with, with the smart terminals, and, and thought that you know, if we could bring some of the capabilities and the omni-channel marketing strategies that we had at the Tier 1 retailers, down to the uh, to the SMB and enabling um, that kind of capabilities uh, across thousands of SMBs uh, via the the payment device that we could really you know solve solve some great problems help lots of merchants and you know build build uh, um, you know successful business in in the payment space as well. So I think before we dive into this topic too deep. Um, you know, this one, uh, frankly, is so different and unique to our audience. Uh, Greg, I think it would be helpful to just give us the like overview, kind of the elevator pitch of like, 
what exactly do you do? How does this work? Yeah. So, um, you know, the next, the, the newest generation of payment devices are basically a smartphone with a layer of security and a printer on it, right? right? So they're very powerful devices in terms of communication, but they're very underutilized uh, in that capacity. They um, are primarily used for just credit and debit payment. Right. Um, when we were bringing value-added solutions, the omni-channel, you know, promotion tracking and points redemption and other things to market at first, we realized that there was a major challenge in that, in that value-added solutions lifecycle. And that was getting the acquirers and ISOs com- comfortable with bringing you know, value-added solutions to the table, especially third-party ones, communicating to merchants, helping you know, enable training and support to those merchants. And, and we sort of shifted gears and said, you know, instead of selling solutions to merchants and helping that, uh, you know, that merchant today, let's, let's put that you know, a, a few you know, years into the future and focus on helping acquirers and ISOs connect with, build, build better communication channels to merchants and, and leveraging that in-store device. And so, you know, just like a smartphone, those devices can be updated remotely. They can be, um, you know, they can have messages pushed to them, especially the newest Android devices. Unlike the smartphones, there's very few applications that can actually do that. Um, and so our application leverages the power of that internet connected device and, and drives communications both in a self-serve mode and in, a, uh, in an automated, you know, more of a campaign strategy approach you know, to that device. That, 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 that's really cool. Um, I mean, the concept is very, very cool. I mean, I hadn't really quite thought of it before until you said that. It's like there's all that power in that device that can be used. Can you maybe give us a sense of some of the use cases you know, in terms of the type of communications an ISO might have with their merchants, you know, through the through a terminal device. Yeah, yeah, it, it really covers the full life cycle. So the very first example is an unboxing experience, you know, creating a, a, a custom digital walkthrough of, of how to, you know, set up and activate the device, how to set up your account, you know, communicating again in a scripted manner through that device, the moment the merchant turns it on, you know, when they first get it in store. From that point forward, um, you know, there's a, a range of self-serve use cases where merchants can look up, you know, training information, support information, new product and service information right on the device if it's really, you know, quick and easy or through a QR code linking back to the website. Um, so that's kind of that, that first phase of the use case. Um, once you get that initial communication and, and that merchant awareness, I mean, that happens very quick. Uh, you know, uh, within a couple of days, you're starting to see that merchant interacting with the, with the application. Then it becomes a perfect channel for driving awareness and enrollment in value-added solutions. Um, you know, a merchant, um, you know, a small merchant uh, is heavily influenced. Even very large merchants are very heavily influenced by their store managers or the key holders, you know, we use, say, in retail. Right. Those people that open the door each morning are key in both using the payment processing services effectively and making decisions about you know, who they should be using and other value-added services they need. Mm-hmm. And we have what's called a power-up campaign that sh- that's on that device the moment the, the store opens so that that merchant can see that latest information. It might be an operational message telling them about a new feature or function or an upcoming outage, um, but ideally it's, it's something that drives, you know, a deeper and longer lasting, more profitable relationship like cash advance, cash discount, gift and loyalty programs, 
you know, all of those value-added solutions that the, the industry analysts have been saying for years are essential for these for these uh, processors to to establish with with their merger portfolios. And so, and so, so what you're saying then is actually, I'm sorry, James, if no, I can fine. just real quickly, it's really a, it's a two way. It's not just a one way communication, right? It's a two way communication that you're facilitating here. Yes, absolutely. It's okay. it's an automated message on the on the outbound side communicated to the merchants, and then it gives the merchant the opportunity to provide feedback. That might right. be a, a merchant satisfaction score. It might be a, a answer to a survey of the products and services they need. It might be, you know, updated phone numbers. It might be, you know, who else, you know, it needs to get a statement, you know, things like that. Um, any type of bi-directional communication that, that they might have typically done over the phone or attempted to do via email, mm -hmm. um, we can enable with a right much higher efficiency right. right to that in-store device. Yeah, I love that. I think it's, I think it's super interesting. I think, I think it's also, I will say a, um, potentially very valuable distribution channel for you to build, uh -huh. right? Um, you know, the ability to say, hey, we can send a push notification to, you know, a million merchants or whatever is, is super interesting. Um, yeah. So let, let's talk about retention for a minute. I know you were doing some things with Sebastian uh, from Arkham. Yeah. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. Like what, how does this kind of, how can this be uh, set up to impact retention? Yeah, so... When you look at all the industry analysis of what's driving a merchant's likelihood to a threat, um, you know it's it's their their pricing, it's their uh, dissatisfaction with with customer care, it's their uh, lack of awareness of other value added services. So when somebody editor calls and says, "Hey, we can do this for you," you know they don't know that they could get that from their current provider, right? Right. Uh, and so driving that awareness in general is is really essential to to you know, creating that satisfaction merchants want innovative solutions they want a, solutions that are easy for their associates to learn easy for them to use and our automation enables all that but that there's an incredible new level of power that comes when you combine it with a, a, a model driven uh, identification of a merchants that that's at risk and their cause and the reason is you, we can use the data and we can use those uh, model scores to change the content and change the messaging that a merchant receives so that well before you have to, you know, make that call and, and try to beg them to stay, you're starting to communicate with them in advance, starting to communicate with the, the store associates as well about, you know, did you know that there's these capabilities? So if you think that they're at risk or the model score tells you that they're at risk because of a, of a product feature function this, you can address that right away. Um, if they're dissatisfied with their pricing, you can give them the opportunity to give you that feedback to confirm, first of all, are they happy with their pricing and then take an action accordingly. So our, our application enables that, that messaging of, uh, you know, that, that targets the specific category for, for the risk, but then also says, you know, let's collect some more information because those models are driven by by data, right? By so assumptions, you, you got to validate. Yeah, so if yeah. you think they're at risk because of merchant satisfaction, send them a merchant satisfaction score. Yeah. If sure. they score you low, take action immediately, right? Mm -hmm. Don't wait for you know, a call center associate to be able to get to, in touch with somebody you know, 10, 15 calls later. Yeah. Hit them the next day. Yeah, yeah. So let me see if I can restate this and, and see if I got it right. So for those that don't know, Arkham uh, Partners run by Sebastian Biles. Um, they have the um, algorithms and mathematics to look at a, a lot of variables in a portfolio and say, here are the accounts that are most likely to cancel. 
And what you're saying, I think if and I understood, why. Yeah, and, and why, and why, right. Right. and why, and I think what I hear you saying, Greg, is there's two components to this that could help. One is just by having an ongoing communication with that merchant, they're actually going to be less likely to attrit anyway, just because they're communicating with you and they're aware of what's happening. Um, there's that open line of communication. And secondly, in the situation where you identify a high potential person that may cancel, that's going to be based on assumptions. And by then sending communication to the terminal, you're giving the merchant the opportunity to validate those assumptions of, are they happy? Are they not happy? Are there concerns? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, wherever that model score comes from, you, you, you basically just know this, this audience, this B2B community needs to hear a different message, right? right? They need to be more, you know, they need to be more aware of a product or service. They need to, they need to maybe have a new agent assigned to them or something. Um, and, and again, the most likely process today is that that information, you know, especially if you're a large acquirer ISO, gets sent to an inside call, uh, customer care retention team. Right. They try to call and email that person. You know, very, very inefficient, very ineffective. You know, calling SMB merchants, you know, they don't want to spend time on the phone. They want their customers talk. To, you know, they want to be talking to their customers. Right. Um, if you can communicate in those, you know, precious few minutes between the time when they open the door and between they take their first sale, you've got the right audience at the right time. And with a model, you can deliver the right message. And that really is, you know, the epitome of, of marketing strategy. So, so let's talk about the content flow for a minute. <clears throat> so Greg, you know, uh, we have a situation where um, content of different kinds, whether it be training, promotional content, uh, you know, surveys, whatever, right? This is flowing to the uh, device, to the terminal device where the merchant's going to see it when they open the doors. Where does this content come from? Is the content flow coming from you, uh, from your company? Can the ISO create their own content? Like how does this work as far as the flow of content? Today, we create both the content and the campaigns as, as part of our you know, onboarding of, of those clients. Um, a lot of times, those digital assets are already something that's on their website or maybe you know, training and support material that the hardware manufacturers or the point of sale uh, solution provider or the payment app provider has already created. And what we do is we consolidate that into very small bite-sized chunks so that the merchant can or the store associate can very quickly get the high level information they need. And then if there is a training video, or if there's a, a documentation, we'll provide a QR code to, to link that user on their mobile phone to get off the payment device, because that's got to be ready for payments very quickly, and then and drill down into that other content on their mobile phone. So we drive traffic to the Acquire ISO's website. We drive traffic in a targeted and a very you know, specific way so that you don't get your merchant searching for, you know, how do I, you know, replace a cable on a PAX A920? Because as soon as they do that, they're going to get bombarded with competitive merchant services offers, and and very likely that they're going to get the wrong information, right? Um, so you want to you want to deliver that content to the device so it's instantly available. There's no lag time at all for the for the merchant and the store associate to get those quick answers, and then you want to direct them in a very controlled way to a destination where they can drill down further. So what you're saying then is that they're actually going to drill down from the, do the, you know, for lack of a better term, the Google search um, right from the terminal. Yeah. The terminal gives them very quick, um, you know, simple and you're access It's to sort the of pre-programmed in there to, yeah. the, to specific yeah. types of questions. Okay. That's really yeah. cool. 
Yeah, and 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 Patty, I think you hit on a key area. Yeah, we start off in the beginning with a with a kind of relatively uh, consistent template. Mm -hmm. um, it's all customized and all personalized. So you know our application, you know all the all the colors, every menu name and every screen can be fully customized very quickly. Okay. Um, but what you do is you learn after you know a few months. Here's the content that people are accessing most. Let's move that up to another level of menu. Here's the content that's not really getting access. Um, one of our uh, one of our clients, the, one of the highest access contents over the last couple of years is literally how to clean my terminal, right? And so we put that right up on the top. Um, and then once a month we run a campaign that says, remember, use these products. Don't use these products, you know, to make sure that your your ter terminal is just you know disinfected uh, but not damaged. Um, you know. And then you, again, layer in more of that automated messaging around products and services right. so that you're driving awareness in the power-up campaign, but then they can self-serve and discover through the network of menus as well whenever mm -hmm. they're, they're ready to, to learn. Okay, quick follow-up then, because um, I'm sure this is on the mind. It's kind of foremost on my mind. I'm sure it is in many people listening right now. Um, what terminals do you integrate with? Um, you know, are there others on the roadmap and how, just how complex is it to integrate with these terminals? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. So first of all, we've made it very easy. It's kind of a, a cloud and an app hybrid solution. Um, all, the, all the contents and all the business logic and all the workflows are managed in the cloud. The, the, the screens and the sequences are controlled by the app on the terminal. So it's basically a thin client uh, but a structured thin client on the terminal, uh -huh. um, and it can be ported very easily across, you know, essentially any terminal. Any terminal. Today, you know, our largest uh, deployments are actually on uh, Ingenico Tetra terminals because we have an HTML5, HTML5 version of our application. But going forward, we're seeing the vast majority of the devices um, be Android devices, uh, you know, Packs, AMP, um, uh, thinking about, you know, Castle. Um, all those you know, points, those devices we have versions for today. Um, but if somebody comes up and says, you know, here's the terminal that I want to support, um, you know, we do uh, a quick collision testing, you know, of an Android version. As long as it's a you know, Android 7 or higher, you know, the instant notification features work. And we can basically, you know, create a, a, a white label version on any Android terminal within, you know, a month or so. Um, and at that time, we can go through and create all the content in parallel. So the, the time to market is extremely fast. Um, and, and in the end, you get a very customized solution. And if you start you know, in day one with a focus on um, digital unboxing and on some of the self-serve stuff, um, and then you wanna add features uh, in the future, you don't have to redeploy the app. You just go into the cloud and, and add new workflows and new menu options and new content, and they automatically get distributed to all the devices that share that template in a matter of hours mm. with same application in place. Our application also doesn't require any payment application integration, so there's no PCI impact. There's mm. no you know, complex integration <coughs> from that standpoint. We do Very have important. features that, that, that um, do uh, like you know, consumer facing functions like the points redemption and promotion redemption and those types of things that that can benefit from that payment app integration, but you don't have to do that day one. 
So uh, obviously, you know, this is a model where kind of your client is generally going to be the ISO, right? Um, and the ISO is, um, you know, getting the service from you to provide to their merchant so that the ISO could communicate with a merchant, both using your, uh, you know, pre-configured template information of, you know, for instance, you, know, you may have a library of how to use a particular PAX terminal, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And then they're also going to put their own custom content in there about maybe um, value-added services. So now that we understand that kind of piece of it, talk about the economic model a little bit. I know you can't go super specific here on the pricing and all that, but just so the ISOs kind of understand what is it, what does a partnership with your company look like as far as if they wanted to provide this to their merchants? Yeah. So, um, you know, our target is to be extremely, you know, cost-effective um, and, and deliver, you know, five, 10, 20 times ROI, uh, you know, based on how many use cases you deploy. Um, uh, we typically say, you know, Start thinking about it about a dollar per device per month, um, but you know again uh, the larger number of, of you know larger acquirers that that price can go down um, you know significantly uh, you know as we start to to um, collect more data we can start to price at the merchant level so we can start in an anonymous mode and not even know which device is associated with which merchant makes it really easy because we don't have to get merchant profile data from from the acquirer ISO, but once they are able to provide that information to us, then we can do some some consolidation and 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 show that you know these five devices are at one merchant. So we'll we'll bundle that price, um, and and it also then gives them the opportunity to do much more targeted content. So right. you know, the convenience stores would give this kind of campaign. The, right. the dry right. cleaners or the you know, grocery stores or the restaurants would get another yeah. type of campaign. So that they start to see those value-added solutions and the support content that's appropriate um, and most needed by by that business vertical. So this might be a rather stupid question, but it just kind of popped into my head. There's so, no stupid questions. <laughs> there really are actually. Love things we'll, that we'll, pop. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, I correct <laughs> myself. I have heard a few in my life. Usually um, not on this podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, hopefully not. But um, so okay, I'm an ISO. I have a thousand mids. Yep. I sign up with you and we're going to pay something like a thousand dollars a month, you know, to, 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 you know, uh, to put this out there. Cause they're all smart. Obviously they wouldn't all be smart terminals, but let's assume that they were. Yeah. What's next. I'm, I actually also in my mind, I'm like, wait a minute, what's happening. Am I asking all my merchants to download an app or like what, what, what happens? Yeah. So um, we give you a white labeled version of an app and a content package that um, goes to, you know, whatever estate management tool you use. Um, and that pushes that app, you know, to the device and field. It's automatically activated. I There's see. no merchant training. It just shows up the next time the device reboots. You know, greets the merchant with a message and says, "Hey, you got you got a new self-help you know capability now. You can find information right on this terminal. Here's how you get to it." Okay. Um, and okay. then, cool. You know, as as you know, those those ISOs and acquirers, you know, they want to bring these value-added solutions to the table, but communicating to merchants about these value-added solutions supporting the value-added solutions, driving referrals, all of those are, are really you know, strug, you know, difficult processes today. With our application, you, you identify a you know, value-added solution that you want to bring to the table. We could drive you know, a, a survey to the merchants to say who's interested. We can drive communication to them saying, here's something that might interest you. Um, we can enable the automated referral so that that third-party partner gets the email or contact information from merchants that say they want to get contacted, mm -hmm. which solves a big problem in the, in the whole value-added solution space. 
Nobody wants to tell you, here's all the merchants that I that I, I support today. Go sell to them, right? Um, right. So there's you know there's the there's that uh, challenge, and it helps you track who you know who which merchants are interested in which value added solutions, or which merchants have actually enrolled and started to use these, so that those ISOs can get the revenue share that they're due most of the time from those solution providers as well. Yeah, good point. Um, you can add on things like you know supply ordering for papers and accessories. Um, all those things, again, just deepen the relationship with the merchant, give you an opportunity to, to you know, continue to increase the revenue per merchant and, and, and differentiate yourself from just a transaction fee kind of you know, revenue model to more, um, more sticky or longer lasting revenue um, and, and enable that you know, ongoing direct to merchant communication that's essential for, for retention and growth. Love it. Um, so lastly here, before we uh, jump off, this has been super interesting, um, but I want to make sure we give our audience some information on how to follow up. Now, you mentioned a white label app and all that. Like, I'm assuming you're mainly looking for ISOs, not necessarily the individual agent here. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, give us a little bit of information on where our audience should go if they want to learn more about working with you guys. Yeah. So if you're, if, you know, if you have a large card present merchant portfolio and you either are already deploying or looking to deploy smart terminals, you know, you can reach to me, reach out to me at Popcodes. You can go visit our website, popcodes.com, and kind of see some some video examples and some use cases. Um, you know, we'll we'll talk to you very quickly. You know, through what your your major priorities are um, and the pain points that you'd want to hit first, um, and and again, give you a a, a pretty firm uh, idea in the pricing and and, and go to market timeline. Um, it's going to be you know. A dollar or less, and 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 you could go live in about ninety days um, in most cases, um, and and then you know we build a roadmap from there. So we'll assign a customer success manager that'll help you um, see how merchants are using your your uh, your self serve support capabilities, see the effectiveness of the campaigns, and then you continue to grow and optimize the, the service from there. Just real quickly, just to clarify, that's a dollar per mid per month. So if we're if if we are synchronizing merchant data and we know um, the TID mid association, then it would be at the merchant level. If it's anonymous and we we just you know know you have a you know ten thousand terminals, but we don't know which mids they are associated to, it's at the TID level. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. And that website again was popcodes. Just like it sounds actually, I just looked it up. It's pretty cool. Um, P-O-P-C-O-D-E-S.com. Uh, check it out, reach out to them to learn more. Greg, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to our audience today. I thought that was actually super interesting and uh, I have a feeling you'll be getting some calls. Great. Yeah, Thanks think- for your time. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you at the industry conferences. Uh, we'll have a big cool. presence at uh, ETA Transact coming up here in April. Um, and yeah, you'll, you I'm easy to find online. Um, I'm literally the only Greg Ameth in North America. I suspect <laughs> that might be the case. I'm not the only Patty Murphy, but I may be the only Patty Murphy at the Northeast Fires. So if you're there, please uh, right, exactly. say hi. I'll look you up, Patty. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Have a great day. Thank you. So Patty, uh, I love that my own, one of the companies I own, ISOAMP is the sponsor of the Merchant Sales Podcast for the first part of this year. And I've been enjoying highlighting some of it. I want to just touch on the the obvious one today, and that is statement analysis. Okay, okay? yeah. Um, you know, I was talking to uh, Matt Markham, who currently runs our sales department for right. that company. And um, he was saying how amazing it is that 
be, you know, he'll be doing a demo for someone and usually they'll send him a statement, you know, prior to the demo so he can show them how we do that statement. Right. And he will upload it. And then, you know, we have a, a human right now that will look at every single statement. And he said, before the demo is even barely begun, they say, Hey, I just got an email back that says the statement was already done. And that, you know, and they want to pull it up and look through it. And, you know, the bottom line is uh, we've put millions of dollars and tens of thousands of hours of time into perfecting statement analysis. I just today, I spent like an hour and a half with our lead developer on another huge, huge, huge improvement. That's going to dramatically increase efficiency that we're building right now. Um, And, you know, we're moving towards offering uh, instant, fully automated statement analysis services to our clients, but we want to make sure that we keep accuracy at the forefront. Right. Um, Right. And so to, to us, the constraints that we had when we started, we still have today. And those two constraints are if a if a client sends us a statement, we will do we will do all of the work and we will do it every single time. You send us a statement, it will be done. You send it to right. us and it's a little crooked, the data entry team will work on it. You send us a native PDF, that's going to be even better. Our, our automated AI is going to pull the text out. You know, mm-hmm. you send us a statement, you know, just this morning. I hardly do very much of the statement analysis business anymore because I have a really good team running it, but I dove into a QuickBook statement because this morning I saw the first QuickBook statement, which I think had some kind of, you know differential pricing and there was like a big really? credit on there yeah and it was kind of like oh wow we hadn't seen that before and so huh. when we get a statement we haven't seen before then it goes up the chain and i'm like three levels up now but sometimes i still get stuff that comes to me and says hey what do we do with this and so right? we sure. built a new automation and we got that statement done and so uh number one is we get the statement done and number two is accuracy right and so right. the reason that we never initially said oh we'll do instant you know whatever or or because accuracy. Like we want to make sure that I can, I want to sleep at night knowing that my clients got their statements back and that they're accurate. And right. And so we've been building and building and building and building, and we have so many checks and balances and validation errors and all these things to make sure that what we send out is right. Um, And now we finally are at a point where in the next few months, you'll hear some announcements about how now we have fully automated and, and you know, instant turnaround on a lot of the statement types, but we didn't do that until we were at a point where we were super confident in the accuracy. And even when that rolls out, that doesn't mean if it's not automated that we're not going to do it. No, right. if it's no. not automated, the human analysts who are experts right. are going to jump in, they're going to get it done. And so we have an incredible team. Uh, I looked at the numbers yesterday. We did uh, 267 statements yesterday, yesterday. Um, wow. in one day. Um, and, uh, you know, that was with about 90 4.5% of the work being automated. Automated. Wow. Right. And the rest of it being done by a human. Um, and so there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of pr- processes and procedures. It's incredibly complicated and expensive to build all of that out. But yeah. we have it now. We've solved that problem. There's no reason for you to do it yourself anymore. There's just and, not. And and you've put so many years into it. I mean, you've been working on this, I think, almost as long as we've been doing these podcasts. Longer, Which, actually. I probably. actually yeah, I started this one six years ago. Well, um, and it was about five years ago or we so started, that we started, started doing together. this. So yeah. Yep. So but I remember yep. when watching you sit over, you know, pouring over statements, trying to come up yep. with, you know, uh, ways to analyze. And uh, yep. so yeah, yeah, you've come a long way, my friend. It's been a, been a journey of love. So if you if you want to get more information about the leader in statement analysis, we sign up on an average month right now, we'll sign up. 15 to 25 new ISOs, not agents, ISOs wow. um, that will do our statement analysis service. We're by far and away the leader in this category. Go to getisoamp.com, G-E-T-I-S-O-A-M-P.com, getisoamp.com. Uh, Matt Markham from my team or somebody else will be glad to follow up, give you a demo, help you learn more about what we have to offer. So uh, thank you so much. Let's get back thank to the podcast you. episode. 
This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So Patty, today in Questions from the Field, I want to talk about um, selling dual pricing and cash discounting and the core beliefs that kind of go into making that sale. Uh, I haven't talked about this in a long, long time. And the reason this uh, came to my attention is I just had a consulting call with a ISO that's building a W2 sales team. And so I'm working with them on that. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to their sales manager and uh, we were kind of kicking some ideas around about how he's going to train the new agents to sell. They're going to be offering dual pricing. Uh, they're going to sell Ballard Paytech and uh, uh, Clover. And so we were talking about some of that. And uh, I started giving a little bit of an answer to some of the um, questions about pitch. And I wanted to bring that back up today. So yeah. when, you know, when you're out in the field selling, this idea of passing the cost of processing onto the consumer, um, I really, really dislike that. Um, you know, it's interesting because in the beginning, that was my biggest complaint about this. Yeah. You know, because it it sounds a little bit like a little shady, right? Like a yeah. little shady. Well, it's, it's it's negative. Yeah, it's negative. It's right. a negative thing. You're saying, right. you know, and and I think this idea that business owners, I've talked about this a lot of times, but you know, business owners ultimately they're not like that attracted to the idea of being able to trick their customers into paying no. their processing fees. That's not, not if they're the, responsible, you know, right. decent people. Right. right. So I think a couple of things that are kind of underlying beliefs that you really want to have as you're getting out in the field and selling dual pricing. Uh-huh. Um, number one is that it is the right thing for the merchant to do. And yeah. what I mean by that is from a business logic, everybody uh-huh. knows it's the right thing for the mer- for the agent and the processor. I mean, it's really profitable and all that. But as far as for the merchant, you know, the merchant is not going to lose business. Um, we've seen that. Um, one of the interesting stats, I was just doing a keynote and um uh, one company said that they had uh, signed up a very large number. I won't give the exact number, but a, a very large number of merchant accounts uh, through their um, call center. And the first interesting statistic was that I think it was 94% of all these accounts were on like dual pricing. So that was pretty mm-hmm. staggering. But the, but the even more interesting number was they actually had less than half a percent of those merchants had switched back to traditional pricing. During the year. Wow. Which is That's a really remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this was a large, this isn't like 10. This is like a large, massive data set and a huge company. And so less than half a percent had switched back to traditional. And they actually, part of their pitch is giving them that option. I mean, it's not like they're holding them hostage. They literally say, give right. it a shot. Don't like try it. it. Try it. We'll switch back. And, yeah. and nobody switches back. So it's the right thing for the merchant. But then we got to go to a deeper level here and say that it's also the fair thing to do for the for the consumer, for the customer. Yes, that's the really key point. Yeah, and, and and when you think about that, what 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 I mean by that is, every merchant in America is passing the cost of processing onto the mm-hmm. consumer. Every mm-hmm. single one. I don't care if they're doing surcharging, dual pricing, traditional pricing, cash discounting, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The, the business is paying the processing fees out of the revenue that's collected from the pricing. Right. So the question isn't should the merchant pass the cost of processing onto the consumer? The question is, how should they do it? What's the, what is the fair way to do it? Right. Right. Should, or, or put another way, should the cash paying customer pay the cost 
of the card for exactly. people that use exactly. their cards. And then we could even drill down deeper, Patty, on that because we could say, well, we know that those in the in, the, in America who have the least, who are underbanked. Now, there's a lot of people who have a lot of money that still like to pay cash, right? Of course. Right. But statistically, but statistically, th there's a higher probability that if you're paying cash, you're someone who is underbanked, meaning right. you don't have access to even get a cashback rewards card or a travel right. point reward card. Right. Um, and so the real question could be, uh, should the people who have the least pay a little bit more so that the people that have the most can pay a little bit less? Right. And the answer to that question is no. <laughs> no, it's not fair. It's, not, it's fair. not fair. So when you come at it from that perspective with the merchant and your pitch is centered around that, mm -hmm. it's going to be much better for you. And so the kind of two pillars that I have found that it's interesting, Patty, because to your point, when we started talking about it, these pillars were not at all part of my pitch. But now the two pillars that I kind of build the the um, the pitch or the presentation on is number one is the familiarity part of it. And what I mean by that is... Um, I used to say, oh, there's this new thing, you know, cutting edge, you know, very few people even are doing this yet. You know, it's like, well, that's it's a stupid like, thing to say. This has been around since 1970s, really. Right. right. <laughs> Fuel know? stations have been having differential pricing for years, the right. cash card price. This is nothing new. So I build on that and I say, you know, have you ever been to a fuel station that had cash in the card price? Yes, I have. What did you think about that? Well, they probably don't want to pay credit card processing fees. Exactly. Do right. you want to pay credit card processing fees? No. Okay, great. So I build it on familiarity. Um, and then the second thing I build it on is this concept of fairness and this idea that, you know, look, you're already passing the cost of processing on. And the thing I'll ask him is I'll say, look, if you found out tomorrow that the cost of building rent or if you're a restaurant, your cost of food or payroll cost, if one of those core costs increased by 30, 40 percent, would you what would you do about that? Mm -hmm. Well, I'd probably do a price increase. OK, how would you increase the price of everything? Well, yeah. Well, now the reason you would do that is because having the electricity on or having a building to go to or, you know, uh, having Can't employees, do the rest of the work, <laughs> everybody, every single customer is going to benefit from that. Right. 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 And so you increase the price for everybody, but payment processing costs go up year after year after year after year. It's time for you to do a tiny price increase for, you know, payment processing to cover those costs. But we don't want to do that across the board because it doesn't impact everybody. The people that are paying with cash, let's keep them at that lower price. Mm -hmm. Let's make a differential price like the fuel stations have done with success and do that with the knowledge that every single one of your customers at some point in their life has gone to a gas station that had a cash and a card price. They didn't That's drive right. away. They put right. their card in, they paid the higher price and they got their fuel. So this is something we've been conditioned for. And if you approach it from that perspective, I think you're going to find that you have a lot more success. Great advice. Thanks, James. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, James, you know, it's uh, three years on since the pandemic shook, shook up the world of shopping in addition to yep. our work lives and everything else. It's actually amazing to me to think it's been that long already, but it has. And, you know, obvious um, side effect of that was that retailers were forced to, you know, pour huge investments into the e-commerce channel. Right. And and things are beginning to normalize. But, you know, let's be realistic. It's a new normal. Right. I right. mean, right. You know, for, you know, consumers, for example, um, are returning to brick and mortar stores. National Retail Federation reports that as of the year, as of year end 2022, e-commerce accounted for 16.4% of retail shopping, 
down from 18.8 at the height of the pandemic, right. which is, you know, that's a, yeah. a significant drop. Yeah. Um, you know, for their part, uh, merchants are considering investments in new technologies that streamline the in, in-store payments. You know, this is uh, something that a recent opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, in my opinion, ac- accurately described as having been um, lagged behind other tech investments, you know, investments yeah. in payment techs. Sure. Um, in the UK, there's a uh, automotive and bike parts um, chain called Halford Group. They're said to be integrate, investigating payments by sound waves. Mm-hmm. Um in-store stu- customers using a mobile app would exchange encrypted data with a specially designed POS device to affect payments. Mm. Um, proponents say that the tech can be used to compete, complete credential and payment data exchanges in about half the time it takes with an EMV check, uh, chip. What are you saying? It's like the, like the old phones where it's like the tone. Uh, yeah. Isn't that, I mean, it just, that's it's kind of, kind of strange, but yeah, I never heard of that know, one. That's interesting. And as I understand it, um, Amazon uses a version of this in its cashierless stores. Really? Yeah. Huh. The idea is that customers pick up items and the payments are, you know, on their phone are automatically, um, you know, added up as they walk through the checkout line. You know, it just says, okay, yeah. Patty picked up, you know, $33.55 worth of groceries and ding, ding, it's debited to her, her on-file card. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. Now here in the U.S., Kroger, which is, you know, major supermarket chain, is, um, has, <laughs> they've developed, they, they're testing out this new shopping cart that's equipped with cameras and sensors that will track what the customer is buying. Um, thus eliminating the need for checkout scanners. Kind of that kind of the self-checkout as you go or something. Self, like as, you, exactly. as you put it in the cart, you scan it or yeah. something. Yeah, isn't that know. cool? I like I that. Mean, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, the company's CIO told the Wall Street Journal that uh, Kroger is also considering placing check checkouts in individual aisles for customers who want to grab and go, right? Like, I'm sure people at your office will run out to the supermarket, grab something, right. come back to their desk, right. right? Yeah. Don't have to stop at the front of the store. Just do it right there at the sandwich aisle. Uh, Pretty cool. Yeah. And then uh, the last one I wanted to share was Nordstrom's. Okay. Um, and they're investigating a technology we've talked a lot about on this podcast, which is tap to phone, which is what Visa calls it, or tap on phone, which is what right. MasterCard calls it. Uh, both of these solutions have made headway in, in developing countries. Uh, Visa says its tap to phone solution was a big hit during the World Cup um, competition in Qatar. Okay. Um, the, this, you know, this kind of solution, the big piece about it is that it allows SMBs to fast track their digital payment strategies, right? Mm. Um, but the take up here in the U.S. has been slow. Yeah. Nordstrom CIO pointed out that by eliminating the need for unique pay, uh, payment technologies, you know, they can provide greater flexibility and convenience. For example, allowing sales sales associates to check out uh, customers wherever they are in the store or to bust right. up long lines, right? Yeah. Um, for a large retailer with hundreds of stores that could potentially drive significant savings and, and greater customer satisfaction. 
I know I live alone now. I but I used to when I had, when I had a family around me. I used to go to Costco all the time. Yeah, I used to love it. You know, I'd hate it because I'd go and I'd see this long line, and then a line buster would come along, and I'd be right. oh so so happy. So you know, um, according to um, one survey I saw, um, tap to go eighty three of percent of consumers surveyed said they would use this tap to go technology to pay. Yeah, um, for sure. Ninety five percent of merchants said they would, including, and this is the most significant. Um, data point 92 percent of cash only merchants wow that's i think that's a big deal like think about it i was when i was reading this i was thinking about farmers markets right right sure how many people when those farmers markets are just taking cash but they all carry a, a phone Right, of course. Just putting on that app is is a piece of cake. Right, and they Imagine, and they don't, you know, as much as Square gained popularity in that market, nobody ever particularly loved the little Square swiper. No, the dongle. So the dongle has always been a little bit of a necessary evil, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. You know, and I think that you know investments. I mean, these are not really huge investments. Right. You know, that can really make uh, support a more robust payments infrastructure, more efficient processes. Yep. And. Um, I think the the real interesting thing about this particular um, set of news news items that I'm reporting on this week is that it really shows that despite uh, predictions to the contrary, uh, COVID was not the death knell for retailing. Right. Right. You know, no. it just created yeah. a bunch of new. Well, of and, I new think, and I think a great a great uh, illustration of that would be companies like Facebook and 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 Stripe and others who. Uh, you know, have done big layoffs lately because uh, well, it was just Shopify was the other one, I think, but where they they thought, oh, it's all going e-commerce. Right. And, you know, right. the, this was the, you know, COVID was the start of a trend that's going to accelerate from here. No, actually nope. went back down to where it was. It may be a little bit of an improvement. And maybe it'll increase, so, you know, a percent or two every yeah. year. You know what's funny? So, but. The other thing I kept thinking when you were telling all these stories of the automated checkout and stuff, and I was, I was thinking about it, you know, one thing I, I'm going to be very interested to see is how they continue to uh, develop technology to prevent theft. Well, you know, you know that I think you're right there because I just happened to see in the American Banker today yeah. a story about how shoplifting yeah. is just you know raking retailers over the coals. Oh my! And I wondered when I, I didn't really go real deep because yeah. I was about to do the podcast, but um, I wondered how much of that has yeah. to do with these automated checkouts. Well, you know, I, I was looking at um, I can't remember the stat now. I, I have to look it back up, but uh, there was a stat about how if you take the stolen goods from Walmart. It was like the seventh largest retailer in the world or something I like heard, that. I saw that. Yeah. It might even have been like higher that. than that. I can't remember. But, you know, the thing I was thinking is, well, yeah, they have self-checkout, but at least even with self-checkout, you kind of know, you know, like they have that greeter at the door. Right. And, you know, and you they have feel, somebody at the self-checkout area right. kind of watching. Exactly. People. And so you would right. feel kind of awkward as a, as a thief. You'd be very awkward and nervous walking towards the door without going through at least the self-checkout. Right. But with this new technology, well, I grabbed something off the shelf. Did I pay? How do you know? Right. And you know what I mean? So that I think would be very interesting to see how maybe it's like a, they're going to, you know, print you a little sticker or I don't know. I just want to know. I don't know either. But, you know, know? like, you know, I was wondering maybe there's some way, like, you know, I remember back in the old days when I did a lot of clothes shopping in, you know, retail stores, they would have those, and I'm sure they still do have those little things on the clothes. Right. Like, right. And if you, would walk out the store and the, and the clerk had forgotten to take that little 
Yeah. You, thing off. Yeah. Go crazy. Deep like, everything. You know, yeah. Bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah. Maybe there'd be something like well, that. Well, maybe, that they- you know, the other idea too, I thought it was, it could even be a much higher tech. It could be a right. solution like, well, if all this is happening on your phone, then potentially there could be some kind of a device at the door that would be able to say, hey, there's actually nothing. You didn't purchase anything. Right. There's nothing out, on your phone. There's something you're walking out with right. and you didn't purchase anything, you know? So, but, but then even, well, what if there's one thing I didn't purchase and I purchased everything else? So I think it's going to be very, that will be interesting to see how that develops yeah, as well. So be we'll, very interesting. we'll obviously stay out, keep everybody up to date on that stuff, but that it'll be very interesting to see how all that develops and, and how long it'll take for all that to get to kind of main street America and mm-hmm. the small mom and pop shops that our, our audience tends to service more often. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be really interesting, but I, I do see that there's the bleed down, you know, the bleed yeah. from the majors to the minors, you know, just as um, Greg was saying today, you know, the taking yes. te- technology that the big guys are using and bringing it down to the SMB market is happening yeah. at a much more rapid speed than it ever yeah, has in the past. Yep. I agree. Well, good stuff as always, Patty. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.